Welcome to the EO Podcast with Brett Kiesling, part of the EO Podcast Network. Hello, my friends. Thanks for listening. My name is Brett Kiesling, and as it says on my business cards, I'm a passionate advocate for employee ownership. I am so pleased to welcome the Chief Financial Officer of Meyer Supply, Robert Tamaka, to the podcast. Bob, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome, Brett. I really appreciate you having me on today. Let me just give a little bit of a background. Meyer Supply was founded in 1957. It's an employee-owned wholesale distribution business with a rich history and family culture. There are 17 locations, including a state-of-the-art distribution center. They have five distinct divisions. They provide service and support throughout the HVACR community in New York and Pennsylvania. Their divisions include commercial refrigeration, HVAC, technical training, controls, and applied products. And they've partnered with the absolute best vendors and manufacturers in the industry. Bob, as Chief Financial Officer, we'd like to talk about you. We'd like to talk about Meyer Supply. And we'd like to talk about the effect of employee ownership on the culture and the business growth of Meyer Supply. Is that okay with you? That sounds absolutely perfect topics for today, Brett. Thank you. Excellent. So, Bob, as you know, we like to kick off the podcast with the EO aha moment if you've had one. It's not that moment when you first heard about employee ownership or thought maybe it was a good thing, but it's if you heard about it in such a way that made you go, hmm, this could be transformative. And I'm wondering, have you had an EO aha moment or two you'd like to share with us? Absolutely. There's one that really, really sticks out to me, Brett. About four years ago, we had one of our retirees from Meyer Supply, who I'd been working with for several years as they were trying to learn more about some of their retirement benefits, when they would get their funds. And then finally, when everything all settled down, they came into my office and they were practically in tears seeing, you know, kind of once it all came together and seeing, you know, what their balance was like and all their hard years of work and service. And they were just so grateful and thankful to be part of an employee-owned company for the 30 years that they were here and what Meyer Supply had done for them. And it was just really touching to see how much it really meant to people, because even though Yeah, I'm very close with most of our co-owners here. I still don't get a lot of chance to dialogue with all of them on a daily basis. So having someone reach out to me and talk to me about how important employee ownership was and how it really is going to transform and really change their retirement and seeing them breaking down into tears of all the things that employee ownership has created for them. I've always been a big proponent of employee ownership, as you know, Brett. And this was one thing that really even put me over the top and seeing how much it really affects our retirees. Bob, there would be nothing wrong in a traditional business where someone works for you for 30 years, they come in, they retire, they go off with a watch and a hearty pat on the back. But the differentiation for employee ownership is that we change lives, not just during the course of the career, but in and through retirement. How much does that add personal meaning to what you're doing? You could be a CFO at any HVACR company and you could do a good job and help grow the business. How important to you personally is it that you're not just framing these careers, but you have a major hand in life-changing work for the co-owners at Meyer Supply? Brett, that's honestly one of the things that really, really drives me every single day when I come into work. We have approximately 165 co-owners in the company, and I feel with all the ESOP work that I do and my, my, my the rest of my finance team with all of our administration and and planning of the ESOP, 
that it's transforming lives. It's not just transforming my checkbook or the executive's checkbooks. It really is transforming for everybody in the company. And that's one of my biggest drivers. And we really take a lot of pride in an open door policy when it comes to employee ownership. And if anyone wants to come to me specifically for questions to understand everything, you know, I want them to understand what they have. And if I start hearing about some naysayers, you know, try to get them to flip the switch to get them to believe more in employee ownership. And that's one of my biggest, biggest drivers. And once we have people who really understand and realize what a big deal employee ownership is, I mean, I feel like that's part of my job. And I'm not just taking care of a few families in the company. It's 165 families and all the management team also takes a lot of pride in that as well. I love that. Bob, if you could, we're going to talk a lot about the culture of Meyer Supply and how employee ownership impacts the business in multiple respects. But could you take a moment to start us off and just tell us a little bit, I think you've said you've been there 16 years. Can you tell us about how you got to Meyer Supply? And then also, if you would tell us a little bit about, I know that Meyer Supply, as I said earlier, was formed in 1957, I believe. If you can talk a little bit about the story of transferring to employee ownership and how that occurred. So tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us about how Meyer Supply got to be employee owned. Sure. So very quickly about myself. Again, I've been at Meyer Supply. I've been a co-owner for 16 years now. Before that, I had a few other positions. Uh, I was a credit manager controller for another local wholesaler, and I was with a CPA firm for six years. So I'm also a licensed CPA as well. And when I left the CPA firm, it was a nice opportunity to go work for an employee-owned company. We did have a few clients that were ESOPs. I did not work on them, but I was just very, very intrigued by the idea of employee ownership. And that was one of my transitions over to my supply. So with Meyer, so we've actually been uh, ESOP since 1992. We are about a month away from our 30-year anniversary of our initial transaction. I need to circle that date on the calendar and make sure we do something fun for it and celebrate as a company. So the first 15 years of ESOP, we were 51%. We, to get a little technical, we had some 409P issues. So there was a little bit of a challenge to try to you know, go to 100%. And for some reason lately, I love telling this story that my first day of work, and I came in as a new position at Meyer Supply, that Frank Meyer, our, our president then walked up to me with a half a sheet of paper with five or six bullet points that, Bob, here's your duties and responsibilities because I started as finance manager. The very first one, learn everything you can about ESOPs and help us get to 100% was the first topic and task that I had on my list when I started Meyer Supply. Wow. So I, I felt like I just really got my arms around it and tried to figure out as much as I could. I did a lot of TEA webinars, seminars, and CEO webinars, seminars just podcasts, just absorbed as much as I could all about employee ownership to help us transition to get to 100% ESOP, which was our main goal at that point. And it took about 10 years for us to get to that point. So we had our final transaction in 2016. We had a few other smaller transactions along the way to go from 51 to 57 to 62 to 67. So we're able to get some other little tranches of stock throughout those 10 years. And then we had our final transaction in 2016 to become 100% employee owned at that point. And Bob, if I remember correctly, as regular listeners will know, I actually started before, now I'm known for the ESOP podcast, but I was actually a co-founder and principal at Capital Trustees. And mm -hmm. although I wasn't the lead, but I believe that my firm was the trustee for your final transaction, if I recall. Yes, we go way back, Brett. <laughs> <You do indeed. laughs> I remember you there in the room with us. And um, I'll give a shout out to Rich Heater, my former partner 
who's still going strong at Cap Trustees, but you folks were always great. You said a couple of things in passing. Let me just visit them really quickly. You had mentioned there were 409P problems, and, and we don't want to devolve into a technical podcast, but that is a variation of what we call the haves versus the have-nots. It's when the income level doesn't square right with the 409P testing that will make it a, a legitimate retirement plan. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. And the only other thing I'll add on just to, to kind of explain it from 30,000 feet, we still had the 49% of the shares that were outside of the ESOP that were owned by too much of the family members at that point. And it was you know constructing a handful of transactions along the way to buy some of those shares back from the family. So there was not basically top heavy testing that family members did not own too many shares because that, that's the 409P anti-abuse provisions. And what I love about that is it shows two things, Bob, and then for our listeners' sake, we'll move on to not quite mm-hmm. to so technical stuff. But first of all, I love the fact that you shared it because there are technical aspects to ESOPs and mm-hmm. you they're, they're regulated, but it's almost, when I was at NCO's annual conference and, and you and I didn't have a chance to say hello, but we were both in Seattle in April for mm-hmm. the annual conference. And one of the sub threads that was going on with folks considering ESOPs is, are they sustainable for the long haul? And although the 409P is not directly related to that, what did strike me is, If you're aware of issues with the sustainability of the ESOP or achieving the level of ownership that you are looking for with competent, talented professionals and folks like yourself on the inside who want to work out those issues, Mm -hmm. those issues can be addressed. So it took apparently about 10 years, if I'm understanding the math, for you to reach Frank Meyer's goal of 100% ESOP. Mm but you were able to get there because you stayed at it as a worthy goal. Am I saying that correct? I think you absolutely nailed it, Brett. And again, to pick off a few of the things that you said as well, now, right, we're at that stage is 100% and we've re-leveraged a few times. Again, we're not going to digress into some technical things, but the whole concept of sustainability, now that is at the forefront with us right now as well. So we're starting to model our benefit levels and, and trying to look forward and we want to be sustainable. And, and even we've had a nice will run above our stock price in the last couple of years. And I've actually had a few you know, younger co-owners come up to me holding up their certificate like, Bob, are we going to be able to afford this? And you know, without getting into too much details with them, you know, guys, we're putting together 20-year cash flow models, you know, managing all this sustainability, managing our benefit levels. And I think that's one really interesting thing with a lot of what I've done, Brett. So when I started in 2006, I came in pretty cold, not knowing much. And once I started doing all the webinars and seminars, I just tried to learn a little bit of everything. I wasn't an expert at 409P or top-heavy testing or benefit levels. I just tried to learn enough, a, a little bit of everything of all aspects. And it was interesting even after that, whenever I went to the conferences, there was always something new that was going on with our ESOP specifically. So I don't think I ever went to two of the same classes two years in a row because everything was just continued to change kind of basically where our, our life, you know, where, where, where our, our life cycle is right now with the ESOP. So now being a 30-year ESOP, we're at that life, you know, basically that life cycle of sustainability. So that's kind of at the forefront right now. Plus we do have a handful of aging co-owners as well too. And I want to make sure that, you know, when we get some of those questions of, Bob, my certificate keeps going up. How are we going to afford this and keep our future expansion that, you know, we can confidently, you know, talk about some of the things that we're doing as a company, talk about our sustainability and give them that confidence that keeps them coming into work and their work 
talking 120% every single day. And Bob, and I feel bad because of your financial background that I keep saying, hey, I didn't have you come on technical stuff, but you're providing so much ripe stuff. It's the repurchase obligation studies that are so critical for those who are listening who maybe are not super versed. You do the repurchase obligations. Those are the cash flows that you had talked about where you're looking at 20-year cash flows. It's Mm -hmm. almost an actuarial type function where how much cash are we going to need to pay off the owners as they retire? Because ultimately, Bob, that's what the ESOP is about. It's the retirement plan. So you know, business can be great and jobs can be absolutely wonderful. But at the end of the day, if a company can't meet its obligations, Mm -hmm. we have kind of missed the point. But you do it by sound management and and. I said you, and you are doing it by sound management, but in the mm. big picture, Royal, you, everybody, there are tools available and experts that are available. But I love the fact that you relied on going to the different conferences and you mentioned TEA and the NCO. There are plenty of places where you can get learning. Pennsylvania, by the way, where you're based and I'm based has a great Pennsylvania Center for Employee Ownership. We'll give mm. them a shout out as well. But it's get your knowledge together, figure out what you can get a sense of what you don't quite know, and then reach out and get qualified experts to help you where you want to go. I I think that's a great approach to it. Even though I've been doing this for 16 years at this point, you know, we're still relying on a lot of our experts and our professional team to do a lot of those things. And, and, And generally I can kind of steer us in the ballpark on a lot of these issues. And then they'll and then, you know, our, our attorneys, TPAs, they'll uh, valuation, you know, they'll, they'll kind of help refine some of these things a little bit too. So, you know, we, we just here at Meyer and the finance department, we're just steering the bus in the right way and definitely will need a little help use our experts because they've been doing this for 30, 35 years at this point. And I think that's a good point, you know, making sure you, you always use your professionals because this is what they do every single day. Besides all my ESOP work, I'm still running the monthly P&Ls, tons of other finance work. We're in merger and acquisition mode right now as well. So trying to layer our merger and acquisition work. And, and also I'll, I will do a little plug. You mentioned about that we had 17 locations. We're getting ready to open location number 18 in approximately 120 days. So that's been big on my plate lately as well. So you layer on top of all that. And then for the fact of employee ownership as well and sustainability, you know, there's a lot that we do and, and even getting back to the root of, you know, we talked about that we're not just providing for a few key people in the company. I was providing for 165 families and making sure we have company sustainability that they can keep a roof over their heads and have a happy and safe retirement. I love that, Bob. We, in preparing for this conversation, my team has visited your website and we've seen some videos that you have produced. One is customer focused that why folks should be able to rely on Meyer Supply. Another is in the hiring space you know, why people should work and have a career at Meyer. So if it's okay with you, let's transition from the technical stuff that normally I'd talk to a CFO about and actually get into the culture and the communication because that's that's as important to you as the P&Ls. Am I correct? Oh, oh absolutely. And I think that's the one of the things we've really, really always pride ourselves is, is the culture of the company. And I still even remember when I started Meyer Supply, I walked into work one of the first days and I already knew some of the members of the Meyer family at that point. And it was still, when you walk in, I still got a handshake, a fist bump from every single person as I walked back to my desk. And I could just sense on day one that there was a different culture of Meyer Supply. And once, and about two years later, when they signed me up to take the Dale Carnegie leadership course, then I kind of realized where they were kind of coming from. And, and I got to learn some of those principles. 
So with our culture, you know, that's, I think the one thing we've always pride ourselves on is, you know, a lot of investing into our people. And we have a couple of our little buzzwords here. We, we like to Meyerize people, drinking the Meyer Kool-Aid. And it takes a little while, I think, for a lot of people just to kind of get what we're all about. And I think one of the big things where we're very, very, everybody's hands-on. When there's any kind of an issue, challenge, something that needs to get solved, everybody really, really rallies very quickly around everybody. And everybody rolls their sleeves up, gets things done. And, you know, what, one of our slogans is customer satisfaction guaranteed. And it's unbelievable seeing some of the things that we do for customers, whether it's a halfway or if there's a, you know, at the, at the grocery store, there's a compressor down at two in the morning and one of our guys goes in to do a special delivery. It's unbelievable what some of these people do. And a lot of that, you know, the, the, the tone has been set from management and they've set that tone to one level below them. And everybody just really feeds off of that. And everybody has so much pride in their ownership and everything they do. And it's even just mind-boggling sometimes when people come here for the first time. So I'm at, I'm at our corporate headquarters, which is in Conklin, New York, which I'm sure everybody is familiar with Dick Sporting Goods. So we are actually, and this was the building that you were in too, when, several years ago. So this used to be Dick Sporting Goods, old corporate headquarters. And when anybody walks back to the warehouse and they just see that there's not a speck of dust anywhere, not a misplaced box. You can just tell when you walk in here and walk back to our warehouse, what, what pride and ownership that we have here at Meyer Supply. And I know, Frank, can I keep talking a little bit about some of the Please. training that we do? Please. So I'm going to transition a little bit into some of the things that we do for our people here. Again, we're very important on culture and teaching everybody that team atmosphere and working together. One of the big things we started about 10, 12 years ago, we do have an in-house leadership development program called the Meyer Core Development Group. And we're grooming the future leaders of the company where they'll take some, you know, the, the, the senior people on the leadership team and, you know, helping out. It's a three-year program and, you know, starting to groom our future leaders of the company. And, and it's been a nice transition to see some of the guys who, who've been through the program 10, 12 years ago. I've seen some of them progress through the ranks and work their way up in the company from warehouse to inside sales, to branch manager, to operations managers, to logistics managers. So I've really enjoyed watching the transition of some of these people on the team. And as they have grown in their positions as well, they're just, you know, it, it's a nonstop learning process for everybody as well. And even I'll reach out to some of those guys on how to handle a certain situation because I know those, they, they've all been here 15, 16 years, just like me, and they know things that I don't know. And it's just really, really nice camaraderie with a lot of them to learn how we all operate. And it's unbelievable how much we really all utilize each other. Cause I think a lot of people might think, well, I'm in finance. I, I'm, you know, I have the blinders on. I, this is, I, I work in a parallel universe than everybody else. I, every single day I talk to logistics, marketing, AR and AP, executive team, purchasing, you know, we all really, really work together. We've really bred that culture very, very, very well. And it's unbelievable seeing the teamwork. It's always, you know, we do have our remote locations and I really think once the pandemic hit, I mean, there was a lot of unfortunates with it. But now I think with the use of teams and seeing all of our people, I think that's really helped us engage with some of the remote branches and teach them a lot of our you know, culture, be it face-to-face, -face, even on top of our core development group, we still do tons of training internal for our sales team, our management team, our branch management team. And I think that really sets us apart is this culture that we've developed and what we do to invest in all of our people. 
One of the challenges in employee ownership is how to engage remote locations. And it's always been a challenge. You know, it's a lot easier to get people in the room on occasion and be able to serve the Kool-Aid, if you will. <laughs> but during the pandemic, so much went remotely that did managing remote locations from an employee ownership perspective has that become a little easier? That might not be the right word, but there's so much more remote engagement. Has that helped with the culture of employee ownership or not really impacted it much? I think it has helped a lot. Prior to the pandemic, we were, you know, with the ESOP committee, we were starting to roll out some technical videos. And, you know, especially during October and maybe a few other times during the year, we would do some kind of, you know, technical or cultural training. And then once the pandemic hit and there was no face-to-face -face visits any more with the branches to try to, 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 to spread the, you know, get people drinking the Meyer Kool-Aid and spreading the ESOP culture. You know, we had to shift gears a lot too. So I think it really opened up a new avenue. And before COVID, I didn't even have a camera on my desktop. I had never used it. We were doing, you know, one of the other programs, Zoom or one of the, uh, those other, uh, we were using Skype a lot too. And I still, I'll be honest, I hadn't bought into that yet. And then once, you know, first day of the pandemic, hey, everyone's working remote. I got this camera on my computer. Now I love it. I'm, I'm able to engage a lot more. And we started to try to ramp up a lot of our education and getting a lot more face-to-face. -face. And even people who I would talk to before on the phone, I don't talk on the phone anymore, Brett. I, I, I'm doing, I, I'm teams calling everybody now. And we do have a few people in the company who do work remote, like totally remote, like outside of corporate headquarters and the branches. And I talk to them, you know, a couple of times a week and we're doing this and it really helps them become engaged with, you know, what we have going on here because they are so remote. So I, I really think it really flicked a switch with us giving this, this, this whole new other avenue to try to connect with people. And even when we have some of our sales trainings, meetings, we've switched to the team's model and just what a big difference seeing someone's face and seeing their emotion. If they're talking about employee ownership, talking about how to you know, sell our blue widgets that we have in the warehouse, but it, it's really, I think broke down a really nice barrier with this. And we're really engaging a lot more now. Let me go back to something that you had said. And if you could answer in the context of employee ownership, you talked about a service technician making an emergency delivery at 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. And you also said if you go into your primary warehouse and presumably all of your locations, you won't see a speck of dust. Now, Bob, you could order, maybe not as the CFO, but as upper management, you could order somebody to get their butt to that customer's place at 2 a.m., period, end of discussion. And you could order that that warehouse better gleam or heads are going to roll but that's not the vibe of what you're doing. Is it employee ownership? Could you just talk a little bit about how being employee owners impact, if you understand the question that I'm trying to ask, impact the folks' willingness? Are you ordering them to do these things or are they part of something bigger than themselves? I like the latter of the two. Like you said, they're, they're part of something bigger than themselves. Our logistics manager, warehouse manager, they, they don't need to go back there and say, hey, Johnny, get busy. I know you've pulled all the transfers already, but grab a broom. You walk back there if it's... I think the warehouse guys will catch a little bit of a lull between about three and four in the afternoon before they pull their last generations. You go out there from three to four, your warehouse manager's pulling garbage. He, he has the floor scrubber going, you know, they're, they're finding, doing some organizing. They're, they're finding things to do. They have so much pride in what's going on. And, and same thing, you don't need a branch manager to text, to text someone at two o'clock in the morning. You better get your butt there. I'm in bed. No, they, they just do it. And I think, and, and you, I will hear that come back to me once in a while 
or you know, even if it's a, a warehouse person who you know might have done one of those deals and they made us a little bit of money or made a customer for life, you know, I'll hear them say a lot, "Wow, that's going to help out my ESOP." And people will say that back to me, like, "Wow, you do have pride and ownership because you know that every little thing you do, you know, impacts not just your ESOP but impacts everybody in the company." And I probably have about once once a week, every other week, someone says those exact words to me when they get excited about a decision that they made or an efficiency gain, and wow, that's going to help our ESOP. So I, I love that we've bred that kind of culture with everybody, and I always make sure I say, "Hey, make sure you tell the other guys that." I love that, Bob. And and in terms of breeding the culture, if you don't mind, and you can pick one or two places, can you give us a sense when someone joins Meyer Supply, you know, what sort of training, teaching, where does the culture start, or even for more established folks? But can you speak for a little bit about how Meyer Supply imparts the culture to the folks? I think a lot of it, Brett, is really just leading by example. And since management has done such a nice job setting the tone at the top, I mean, that that's how I always learned. And when I started working, when I saw, you know, her, how the management team was carrying themselves, I modeled myself off of them. And when I saw, well, they've been in business for 50 years, they must be doing something right. And then when, you know, so we have someone new starting in the warehouse and they're shadowing someone for a while, I generally think they pick it up very, very quickly, you know, how they're expected to, you know, act, work, how hard to work, pick up that broom at three o'clock in the afternoon. I really think it's, it's just bred from, you know, the existing people that they're working with and they just give off that vibe of we're an employee-owned company and this is how we do things. It's not ramming it down their throat, but I think it's just that soft sell of, you, you figure it out. And then once time starts to wear on and, 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 and Brett, generally, you know, your, your rule of thumb, as you know, it takes generally about a year and a half to two years for things to really sink in with someone. And I think once they get that first ESOP certificate to even just show that they're 20% vested, then I think is when it really, really clicks. But for us, even from day one, within a week or so, you're, you're getting it, you know, our warehouse guys, you're getting a t-shirt that says we own this on it. So very, so we make sure they're, they're, you know, we get them drinking the Kool-Aid as quick as possible, getting them a shirt. And as we do our small luncheons and our holiday parties and things like that throughout the year, even before they get their first certificate, or we always do a lot of events during employee ownership month in October. You know, I think they, they figure it out very quickly by all these other things above and beyond. We actually just had a newer warehouse gentleman join us and he talked about how his company didn't care about him for years and years and years. And he came to us and he's like, starts kicking himself like, wow, I can't believe I didn't do this years ago. So I think, you know, a lot of it, we've, we've, we've bred all that culture for everybody and everybody just does it. It's, it's, it's a nice, you know, it's a, it's a nice process that they have in the warehouse without, like you said, ramming it down someone's throat or John, you have to go deliver that compressor at two in the morning. People just do it because we've just it have such pride and ownership. Bob, you had mentioned that Meyer Supply is in a little bit of a mergers and acquisition mode. I know that recently, and we're recording this in May of 2022, for example, we just saw online that there was a company acquired in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And can you speak a little bit about the mergers and acquisitions, but also in the context of sometimes an acquisition can be a little bit challenging to bring folks into employee ownership if they've never tasted it. Can you just talk a little bit about how EO impacts what you're doing with mergers and acquisitions? Sure. Good question, Brett. And I think that's one of the things, you know, so we, we do have a few active potential acquisitions going on right now, even besides the, you know, the recent one that's down in Allentown and, you know, trying to figure out how we can use that as an acquisition tool as well too, because you could have some owners who they just they just care about the top line. They just are are just 
you know, whatever that highest multiple of EBITDA that they're trying to get is all that they want. And we're trying to offer something more, some sustainability to all your employees and some sustainability to you also if they're seller financing, making sure you're going to get paid in all this as well. And I think, and even just with this acquisition that we we recently have done, I mean, that's something that we started to, we started talking to a few of the key employees prior to the acquisition. And that was something we wanted to get them engaged on very quickly. So they saw that we you know, operate a little bit differently and very quickly, I feel that they, they, they caught on very quickly to it, started asking a lot of really good questions about how it all works. And it's something that they had never been involved with before. And actually we're, we're planning to do some in-house training for them shortly. The acquisition happened about about a little over a month ago, and we'll be we'll be folding them over to our Allentown store here within the next couple of weeks. So I think once they're having that more interaction on a daily basis, I think that's going to make a really big impact with them. And they'll see a little bit more that we just do things a little bit differently. As for a few of the other current acquisitions that we have going on, like I said, you know, just trying to figure out how we can use that more of a tool. And actually at the last couple of conferences, I did sit into a couple of sessions on that too, to get a couple of, you know, good ideas of some of the things that we can use. I think the biggest challenge, unfortunately, in in the market right now, there's just so much private equity money just coming way over the top of anything that we can offer. And we need to make sure that when we have an acquisition, that we're making some really good investments in our co-owners' pocketbooks, and we don't want to be overpaying for companies as well. So I think that's a little bit of a challenge on our end as well. We, we need some value in these acquisitions. And I think that's something that the leadership team does a really nice job of. We, we had a potential acquisition about six months ago, and we bowed out because we were, we were chasing it a little bit too and didn't feel that it was a right fit for us. We're not going to compete with private equity, and that's fine. That's okay. We're not going to be successful in every single one of these acquisitions, which is great. And I like that we took that step back and realized, is this really what we want to do? Do we want to overpay for this company? No, it's in the best interest of our co-owners and we move forward with it. I love that. Let's flip the script for just a moment. And you talk about the private equity money and boy, mm-hmm. there's a lot of it. And in 2021, I know that about a year ago, I had had a couple of guests on the podcast where trustees, for example, and I don't mean my previous firm, but generally trustees were doing more terminations than creations of new ESOPs. And it was because private equity was coming in and, and offering money that that too good to refuse. What effect does being employee-owned have on Meyer's supply? Does it make you less likely to accept an offer from private equity? Like I imagine every so often, it's not you knocking on an um, acquisition targets door, but occasionally people are probably reaching out to Meyer saying, hey, we want to buy you. Can you just talk about that side of the equation? And, and, and absolutely, with all this money in private equity right now, especially with our industry, with HVAC refrigeration, it, it's kind of an older industry at this point. And there's actually a lot of mergers and acquisitions going on right now. Very recently, I had a nice discussion with the president of one of our big national trade associations about this. And is there some ways that they could try to promote some employee ownership? Because we know that there's a lot of you know second, third generation where you just don't have a, a son or, or daughter or anybody who wants to get involved. And they said it's, you know, that they try to do as much as they can to promote ESOPs, but it's hard because the private equity is just coming in over the top on everything lately. And he he's still a big proponent and still really loves employee ownership, but it's been a little bit of a challenge, definitely in the industry. So as for us, well, we still have to at least take a look and, and consider some of those things. I still think you know, we 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 just have the, you know, our, our, our grassroots still here in the upstate New York area, New York and Pennsylvania and Northeast Pennsylvania, and things still always have to be considered. I think the employee ownership will, will, you know, keep us chugging along as is for a long time. I love that. 
And what you have talked about with the head of the trade association, and we want to be clear, we're talking about in the HVACR trade association and not in the yes, top world trade associations. <laughs> It'd be very troubling if one of the heads of the EO organizations had said that. <laughs> but, but it's one of the challenges, and I shouldn't even say challenge, but that's the reality when we look at new transactions, which is if you want to sell out for the biggest possible dollar and put your, the selling shareholder, as much money in your pocket as humanly possible, often employee ownership is not the answer. But if mm -hmm. you are interested in preserving jobs, if you're interested in preserving your legacy, and maybe it's a little bit different if you're acquired by an, an ESOP such as Meyer Supply, as opposed to creating your own, but the best way to maintain a legacy for what founders and selling shareholders have done is through employee ownership. Because mm -hmm. often, as you know, with private equity, they come, they buy you, and all of the previous fingerprints disappear, you know, and the jobs disappear and that sort of thing. So that becomes a powerful argument. But ultimately, if somebody just all they care about is putting as much money in their pockets as possible, that's a tough sell for anybody in employee ownership. I agree with everything you said. And and like I had mentioned earlier, Brett, you know, with our position at, at Meyer Supply, you know, if it, if we're on the acquiring end, you know, we, we want to make sure we make some good investments for all of our co-owners and try to expand the company as much as possible. So I mentioned we went 100% ESOP in 2016. So the stories I heard back in 2006 of become 100% S corporation, tax-free entity, it was hard to wrap my head around that. Now, 10 years later, now we have some opportunity that we can look into some merger and acquisitions. And like I said, you know, location 18 will be opening in about somewhere between 90 to 120 days. So it, it's kind of a different, different stage where we're at right now. And then on the flip side, on us being the acquired you know, we're, we're, we have such strong culture, such strong ties to this area. We still do have several of the family members who have been born and raised here who are in upper management. And, and there are some fourth generation as well. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty entrenched in this community as well. And, and on that note with the community, we, we are actually very involved with a lot of things with our community. And we're actually on the verge of expanding, you know, some of our community outreach that we currently have right now and working with some more not-for-profits in the area and trying to give back more to the community at this point. So Bob, we're going to start towards winding down, but I have a couple of more questions for you. And you had just spoken about some of the community service. And one of the things that I love about employee ownership is, first of all, employee ownership in and of itself means so much to me, but our coolest employee employee-owned companies seem to be involved in their community, both at the corporate sense and also encouraging employee owners to take a role in their own communities. Can you talk a little bit about, is that an EO thing? How important to Myers' identity is community service and how do you foster that? It's always been very important to us. And in the next year or two, we're going to try to take it to another level with even some increased community service, Brett. What we've had for the longest time, we've always had our ESOP day, we always get a day off. All you need to do is, is, is do some kind of community service and submit that to HR and you will get a day off in the fall. And also with that, I just, my boys are both in college now. So now I have a little bit of free time on the weekend. So besides working on my solo guitar acoustic hat, <laughs> I started to volunteer at our local Humane Society as a dog walker. And it just feels so good to do these little things and give back to the community. So as a company for Meyer, you know, promoting all of us to get out physically into the community to do things. On the other side, we've always had a provision that anybody in the company could make a donation of a couple hundred dollars to any charity, any cause they want. And even above that, we always would have some donations of equipment. We work with a couple of our tech and trade schools that are local, and we've 
donated them hundreds of thousands of dollars of old obsolete equipment to help the program. So giving back to the community and giving back to the HVAC community in the same swoop. And now going forward, we're, we're raising those limits for what an individual can contribute to any charity of their choice and looking to even maybe do a few other things. That's all still kind of in the works with Mike Meyer, our president right now, but definitely always been very important that we've been here in the community. A lot of people know the Meyer family, know Meyer Supply, and I'm really excited that in the next couple of years, we're even going to start doing more and more in the community. And that's really, really important to us. I love that, Bob. And there are companies that do what you said. And one example that comes up a lot is Hypertherm and and Mm -hmm. Jesse Tyler, who hosts the Owner to Owner podcast as part of the EO Podcast Network, is responsible for onboarding at Hypertherm of new employees. And they actually, and they're on the extreme side, but, but their 40 hours can be donated in community service where people can get 40 hours paid time at Hypertherm to go off and support any organization. So I love the fact that for eight hours, you know, that Meyer Supply, that you can volunteer. And this isn't to volunteer for an EO organization or to support EO. This is, if I understand it correctly, whatever touches your heart, whatever you think is important, Meyer Supply is making that com- commitment to the communities by letting some people hours be served. I love that. Yes, a- absolutely. And and it and it's interesting too. It's not just focusing on local organizations, but some national organizations. So some people will do some work or help with some fundraising events at you know, for American Cancer Society or, you know, other national organizations, American Heart Association, or even, you know, coming down to our local where, you know, mom's house or the Humane Society and just going there for an afternoon and painting or trimming the weeds. Or like I mentioned, I do the dog walking now, just everything from soup to nuts, what people will do to donate. And it's, it's really cool. And, and, and you're right. It's not a prescribed list. Whatever touches your heart is you go ahead and do that. And we will reward you for your, for your work and involvement in the community. I love that. That is such an important gesture and it really strengthens the binds between employee-owned companies and the communities that we live in. So kudos to Meyer Supply, and I think that's great. Thank you. Bob, let's talk about you personally. And you said something that I kind of wanted to visit a little bit, and, and we both have. We, we often talk about life cycle of ESOPs. And here the life cycle would be, you were formed 30 years ago as a partial ESOP, and then six years ago, you became a 100% ESOP. And we've talked earlier about the mature ESOPs and repurchase obligations and all the life cycle of ESOPs that we normally talk about. But I was hoping that you would share with us, bring it down to a personal level. Can you draw some equivalency between the life cycle of an ESOP for Bob Tamaka, you know, your personal journey. Can you put it in that context for us? Sure, absolutely, Brett. And I still remember when I started going to ESOP seminars, webinars back in 2006, 2007, it it really, really was overwhelming. So even at that point that we had already been ESOP for 16 years, I was kind of starting from scratch on my educational journey that I had. And, you know, each year as things transition with the ESOP, trying to learn more and more, just try to get myself as well-versed as possible. And I remember going to the seminars and I was the guy whose hand was screaming up in the front row, asking all the questions, going to the ask the experts, trying to absorb as much as possible and trying to seek out, you know, finding people to talk to and network with who had a lot of experience now it's interesting 16 years later, and again, we you know we just came back from the NCEO conference and a few of the lunches, you know, just sit down with a few people at a table and one of them, I can't recall the company, 
they were just about to release their first certificates and they just looked so overwhelmed. They're like, we don't know what class to go to. We don't know what to do. <laughs> and it was, and, and I said, Hey, let me see your cell phone. And we, we went down some of the classes. I picked out a couple of ones. I said, Hey, this guy's the, this session is great on communications of your statements. Here's this one. Here's that one. And they were just looking at me dumbfounded, like, wow, at least we have a little direction of what to do here and what to learn. I've even tried to give back and I, I present at a lot of the conferences as well. I did present in Seattle and our multi-state regional conference here. I'm, I'm president of the New York, New Jersey chapter of TEA. We have our multi-state with Pennsylvania, Delaware coming up. I'll present at that as well. I try to give back as much as possible. And when people want to you know, pick my brain about a couple of questions. I, I want to get back to the community because so many people did that for me years ago. And it's really gotten me very, very engaged with the whole ESOP community. So it's been an interesting life cycle that I've had in, in the ESOP community. And I've really, really enjoyed it. And I've just learned so much. And I really enjoy giving back to it as well. I appreciate everything that you're doing. And it's one of those things that I don't have the right to thank anybody on behalf of employee ownership. I'm just a guy with a podcast. And that said, on behalf of employee ownership, man, we need people like you. And I am so grateful that you, you kind of took through the experiences that you went through. And when you're new to ESOPs, there's a little bit of a deer in the headlights. You know, as you know, I, I helped create, I, I can't count how many ESOPs I helped create. Mm -hmm. And my favorite part of the job, you had mentioned that I've been to your headquarters on a site visit. My favorite parts of the job, twofold. First of all, any site visit, any time that I was where they're actually doing the work and meeting the employee owners, I always loved. And the second part was either the kickoff meetings or the annual statement meetings. And I would go and present. And quite frankly, it was kind of just like a podcast that we weren't recording. We talk about employee ownership, but we would often say, you're going to hear things that are just not going to resonate with you at this moment. And that's why we're going to come back in six months or 12 months. You'll hear it again. And that's what you did with these new folks. And I love that you uh, pulled out the cell phone and helped pick their curriculum because the reality is you have been there. And that's the hallmark of employee ownership, you know, just sharing your knowledge. And generally, for whatever the organizations, you go to these conferences and first of all, the professional advisors more than happy to give their time and their expertise and candidly, they're hoping to be hired and there's nothing wrong with sharing it. But boy, the information among the companies themselves is just people are like yourself are just so giving of their time, their knowledge. And I assume also a little bit of a, hey, watch out for this pitfall. I made this mistake four years ago and you want to, mm -hmm. you know, just be aware of that. I think that's just such a marvelous thing that you're doing. So I appreciate that. You're welcome. And the only other thing to add is we're pretty generous. We send our ESOP committee to a lot of these functions as well, too. So they're going trying to absorb as much as possible. And I think that's the big thing is just understanding that it's not a, a, a one size fits all. There's not this perfect flow chart checklist of the perfect ways to educate, the perfect ways to hand out your certificate. And even at Meyer Supply, we're, 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 we still you know, our, our whole process with all of our education and employee ownership month, it still morphs from year to year to year. And some things we'll do for a few years in a row. Maybe they'll feel a little stale. So, hey, guys, let's kickstart. Let's let's come up with a new fresh idea. And then we change things up a little bit to do things a little, a little bit different. So learning a lot at the conferences is, is great. And like I said, not everything works the first time when you're doing things. And a lot of people, when, when we're sitting in, is, you know, the, the ESOP committee is coming up with this idea of how to promote employee ownership or, you know, whatever the scenario is, you know, 
Every, all, all the other co-owners are as good as the information that they get. They're trusting us. They're relying on us. We're, we're trying to figure out those best ways to communicate. Some things have worked really well. Some things didn't work so well. So it's really a lot of it is, you know, what is going to, you know, really what's going to work for you and your company. And like we said earlier, you know, there's just some challenges with having all of our remote work locations and how to reach out to them. And like I said, having some of these webinars and educational sessions have been so helpful to try to reach out to everybody. And they'll see some of us here at headquarters and, you know, see us all with big smiles on our faces and everything. And it's not just a pre-recorded message from Bob T., you know, that they can see the emotion and, and everything that we put into this when we're talking about employee ownership and what a big deal it is for us. I love that. Bob, by way of wrapping up, we have taken, again, a page out of Jesse Tyler's playbook from the Owner to Owner podcast. Hiring is the biggest challenge for businesses all over the country. And partly what I find from my catbird seat, if you will, is that the great resignation that everybody talks about are people leaving jobs that they're not fulfilled. They're not paid enough. They're not engaged enough. They're working for quote unquote, the man, and they're not sticking around. And I got to tell you, I kind of support that vibe, but employee ownership is different. So what I'd like you to do, if you don't mind, let's wrap up with, can you share why should someone consider a career at Meyer Supply and how would they go about finding said career if they were interested? Thank you, Brad. I mean, the, the biggest thing, career at Meyer Supply, and I'll talk about the employee ownership portion of it as well, too, that, you know, we do use some sources right now. We do have some open positions out on Indeed. I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but still so much it's, you know, word of mouth and the people who work here and, and, and interacting with some of their friends and family members and cousins. And it, it, we and that's probably one of our biggest ways that we recruit people is, is our word of mouth. Because when you just read an ad in the newspaper of, hey, Meyer Supply hiring a warehouse person, what really is the difference between that job and working across the street? You really can't tell from reading that. It's having some of those discussions and having you know all of our employee owners here talking about Meyer Supply, talking about the culture, some of those things that make it different. And again, I'll, I'll circle back to the pride and ownership culture, the ESOP, and that just we work all so well together as a team. And, and one of our little you know rally calls is, you know, we work hard and we play hard. You know, we do a lot of things for everybody. I think once in a while, when I tell people that our annual holiday party is an overnight at a casino, people look at me and shake their head like, no, really? We, we had lunch at, at McDonald's for our holiday party. So it's a lot of things like that that are above and beyond that really, really separate us from everybody else. And then even on top of that in the culture is, you know, don't forget about that we are an ESOP and you're receiving shares in the company. And at some point, you're going to have this big ESOP balance when you retire at the end of the year. And we try to promote that up front as well, too. And we, we put together retirement projectors for everyone so they can see, hey, this is what your ESOP is going to look like at 55, 62, or we might tweak a little bit pending what your age is to make some kind of impact. So don't forget all that, that we all work hard, play hard, but at the tail end, hey, we're, we're an ESOP and you're going to have this at the tail end of your life too. And getting back to my aha moment where, you know, someone was practically in tears seeing, wow, all my hard work. And I can't believe what, what the Myers and what the ESOP has done for me. Just, just make it a great place to work. Plus with all of our locations here at corporate headquarters, you know, we have all of your administrative support functions here as well. So many different opportunities, so many different career paths all over the place. And, and I'll kind of go right into, you know, some of our hiring right now, we have about 12, I believe we have about 12 or 14 open positions right now. Anything from an entry-level warehouse position to inside sales to we do have a couple of 
corporate support positions that are opened up right now. We do have a marketing position open, a little transition coming up in the accounting department as well. So there's lots of opportunities. And those opportunities are not because people are leaving, because we're expanding, growing, changing direction on a lot of things that we're doing, changing some focus on, on the way we do things. And we're just looking for some of the best people out there who will help us grow as an ESOP and as a company. I've got to tell you, I think that I find a lot of satisfaction and joy in the work that I'm doing, which is talking about employee ownership. And very candidly, the joy and satisfaction that I get is derived directly from folks like you who are doing such a great job, but also for the good reasons. You're good folks, you and your colleagues, you're great at your job. I love the fact that the employee ownership aspect, which is personal to each of your owners, is wrapped around your overarching motto of customer satisfaction guaranteed. I think that one is the kind of the purpose, we guarantee the satisfaction, but there's a whole lot of purpose wrapped up in employee ownership. Bob, this has been an absolute delight for me to spend some time with you and to get a look at Meyer Supply and also what drives you. You've covered a lot of stuff and boy, the fact that you've started in the 16 years and you started as the newbie who didn't know much, now you're chair of the New York, New Jersey chapter of TEA and you are involved and you are giving back. And I adopted this fall my very first dog. I've never owned a dog in my life and adopted one from someone who had passed away. And the fact that you're a dog walker at the Humane Society <laughs> just delights the heck out of me as well. Thank you so much for uh, spending time with me today and sharing your, your, not just your expertise, but your passion for employee ownership. Thank you so much, Brett, for having me today. I really, really appreciate the time today. All right. With that, we are going to wrap up today's episode. You can find out all about Meyer Supply in our show notes. My thanks to Bob Tamaka and his team at Meyer Supply for doing such a great job. And my thanks to you for listening to the ESOP podcast. Thank you so much. This is Brett Kiesling. Be well. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at EO Podcast Network and on Twitter at ESOP Podcast. This podcast has been produced by Brett Kiesling for the EO Podcast Network. Original music composed by Max Kiesling. Branding and marketing by Bitsy Plus Design. And I'm Bitsy McCann.